Well, hello, this is your host, artist Miriam Shulman, and you're listening to episode number 34 of the Inspiration Place podcast. It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world inside a podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. I am so thrilled that you're here. Today, we're talking all about letting go of perfectionism. To help me, I've invited therapist Rebecca Bass-Ching, who is also a certified Daring Way facilitator, which focuses on the research of Brene Brown. Rebecca was also previously a guest on The Inspiration Place, and her episode has been one of the most popular and talked about to date, so I'm so excited to bring her back. Today, we're going to talk about what perfectionism might be costing you the emotions that perfectionism is covering up, and also how to implement daily life practices to help you let go. Before I bring on Rebecca, I just wanted to let you know that I created a freebie just for you. This is a one-page PDF that's going to review these life practices that Rebecca and I are going to dive into during the show. So to get your hands on that, go to shulmanart.com forward slash 34. Just enter your name and email and I'll send it to you right away. These are wonderful practices and I hope that it will help you clear out that emotional clutter that may be getting in your way of creating. All right. Are you ready? Rebecca, she's in the wings and I'm bringing her on. Hey there. Welcome to the Inspiration Place. Hello. It is so great to be with you again, Miriam. I am so happy to have you on. Your episode has truly been the most commented on and talked about episode that I've had so far. My audience absolutely loved what we talked about. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, we talked about imposter syndrome And today we're talking about perfectionism because that is something that I hear many of my art students struggle with. Yeah. And in fact, we're finding that this is something that is deeply connected, not just to not making the art and people not completing things, but perfectionism is impacting people's well-being, physical and mental health. Really? And not only that, we're finding more and more people struggling with it. So it's an epidemic. We have a problem with this and there's nothing that crushes creativity and innovation quicker than perfectionism. So I'm so grateful that you're talking about this topic today. Yeah. And I actually have a confession before we dive in. Yes. In preparing for this episode, I was going on to your blog and I've never thought of myself as a perfectionist. I was like, oh, that's not me. I'm like, you know, I'm totally loosey goosey. I don't care what anyone thinks, blah, blah, blah. However, you had a couple of statements on there. It was one of these things like, have you ever said to yourself? Yeah. <laughs> and ding, 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 ding. A few of them rang true for me. So, A few of them I don't struggle with. I'm like one of them you said, why try? It will not be good enough no matter what. I do hear that a lot from my students or everyone else is better than me. I hear that from my students a lot. Like they'll go in my Facebook group and they think everyone's a professional but them. But here's the one that rang true for me. It's not letting people see me struggle. Yeah, And I didn't realize that that was one of the hallmarks of a perfectionist, that I don't like people to see me struggle. Yeah. And the big reason is it is really vulnerable to have people see you struggle. And vulnerability in itself, which Brene Brown defines as risk, uncertainty, and emotional exposure, all three things that are incredibly uncomfortable. Yet we're learning that if we can tolerate vulnerability, that is the path to creativity and innovation and love and belonging and all of the things that we desire. But yes, I don't think any of us wake up and say, oh my gosh, who is going to see me struggle today, right? I mean, no (laughs) one desires that. Tell me about why that one caught you when you were going through those list of questions. You know, it's not so much in 
Well, I can't say it's not in my art. There are times when I I think that's the reason. In our last conversation, we spoke about how when I go to a situation where I'm in an art class, Mm -hmm. I don't want people to know that I'm a professional. And that is because if I'm struggling in that situation... I want them to treat me like all the other beginners, like not have an expectation from them or on myself. But the other times I see that coming into my life is not wanting to necessarily participate like in a group coaching. I don't want to ask questions that might make me seem less than anybody else in that group. Yeah. And I think you you nailed it. And perfectionism shuts down us being brave shuts us down from being and showing up as who we are in our curiosities and in our humanity. And it has its own iterations, but ultimately it's quite insidious Mm. and it hides behind a good work ethic and meticulous, someone who has a meticulous attention to detail and who takes really good care of themselves. And so it's really disorienting to tease these things out in a culture that makes billions of dollars shucking perfectionism in the name of results. (laughs) So it really is important, especially for anyone creating anything, to really get curious about how perfectionism is showing up in their lives and trying to protect them and shut down vulnerability. Okay, so let's back up a little bit. I always like to to define what we're talking about. So can we define what perfectionism is? There's a handful of definitions out there. The one that I go to the most is Brene Brown's definition of perfectionism, that it's the belief that if we do things perfectly and look perfect, we can minimize and avoid the pain and blame and judgment and shame that show up in our life. Mm. And academics will get more granular and talk about inner perfectionism and other focused perfectionism and socially focused perfectionism. And those are just the nuances of how hard we are on ourselves, how hard we are on others in terms of our rigidity and our standards, and then how much we're like focused on what the culture wants from us so that we can belong and fit in. And we're finding that one really can that sense when perfectionism is on the line to defining whether we will belong and have community and connection, that's when it can really do a number, not just on our creativity and our productivity, but on our mental health too. Mm. And by the way, the irony is if you want to fix your perfectionism, (laughs) that's kind of part of it too, right? It's like we're all in a hurry to fix everything that might be wrong with ourselves. Yeah. And it really is the antithesis of letting go of being cool, worrying less about the opinions of others. I hear a lot in the circles you and I run in about not caring what anyone thinks. I don't think that's realistic, but the people who I really care about, I should be able to count on one hand, the people that I will lose sleep over. You know, there's a few people whose opinions matter deeply. Mm. And there might be others where I feel vulnerable because they're in positions of power, they're people I admire, or they're critical, right? And so perfectionism, remember at its heart, is a protector. It's just trying to keep us from feeling pain. Mm. So if we reframe that, because sometimes we just want to kill it off and we're only going to exacerbate it. But if we understand the fears of perfectionism and what it's trying to protect, and then we can let it know, you know what? I'm okay if I'm misunderstood a little bit. I'm okay if this doesn't go well, but I'm going to give it a shot. I need some space perfectionism. I need you to relax a little bit. Then I think people find more sustained results. But first, it's just understanding how perfectionism is protecting you. I know what perfectionism is costing some of my art students. Let's talk about that first. What is perfectionism costing us? Oh, gosh. Yeah, where do you start, right? Yeah. Where do I start? I think we'll start in our work. I think we'll start on the results and the things. It takes away the joy Mm. of what we do. Totally. It keeps us from showing up. And perfectionism shows up in a couple ways in work. I see it in two ways. And especially with whether it's my clinical clients or leaders that I'm working with, they get surprised at this. So it usually stereotypically shows up as someone who's a workaholic 
who it's never done and they're always working to the bone, right? But perfectionism also shows up in procrastination, mm-hmm. in underfunctioning, in not starting. Yes. I had a conversation with a woman on the train, just a stranger, and I was telling her what I do. And it was the saddest thing. She was telling me how she can't take an art class because she's never happy with what she does. It just makes her so unhappy. She doesn't even want to try. Mm. That may be the extreme. I mean, people who come to me usually try, but they're so caught up in the comparison despair, either with other people or just some vision that a perfect vision they have in their mind. They can't get past that or it keeps them from risk taking and you can't really get involved in a creative process without some form of risk. You nailed it. Yeah, there isn't avoiding risk unless you live in a cave, have nobody you care about, don't need or want anything. That's somebody with a lobotomy. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, if you love and you care about someone or some things in your life, you're vulnerable and you're, you're at risk of being hurt. Yeah. That is the human condition. And on the other side of that is a whole heck of a lot of joy. We have generations now where we have tried to engineer out failure and struggle and really shamed it and wanted everything to be shiny, happy, perfect, numb. And we are creating generations of people that have lost the art of struggle. And it is disconcerting. And I think there's a big movement pushing back on that right now, thankfully. Really, perfectionism is trying to cover up emotions. It's trying to protect us from feeling our feelings. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Again, we have gotten so caught up in how to think through struggle, think through our pain, think through strategy that we have lost the ability or have lost people are not focusing on building emotional resilience. And that is the superpower. Not willing to feel their feelings. Yeah. And at the heart of that is, is people who have any difficult life experience that maybe that's just been stuffed and pushed away because any threat to feel that part of their story wants to be shut down, right? So to really tolerate the vulnerability of struggle and being seen in struggle. And struggle doesn't necessarily mean like a hot mess cry or a public breakup for everybody to see. It's not this dramatic, you know, reality TV thing, but it's just when you're disappointed in something you said or did and having that given witness by people you don't necessarily know or trust or invested in their opinion matters to some degree. Again, this ability to say that really hurt. That wasn't how I wanted to show up. That's not how I wanted that to turn out and have that differentiated from my worthiness as a human being. And that is really hard and takes immense practice. It literally requires you to do the things that cultivate vulnerability and cultivate feeling emotions because we can't think through it, but we can build up emotional muscle by just practicing, by literally doing the art, (laughs) by having the conversation, moving our bodies, putting pen to paper. And so what is perfectionism costing us outside of our work? It's costing us our health. It's costing us our relationships. It's costing us our joy and meaning and purpose. How does it cost us relationships? Is that because you're expecting perfectionism in a partner? You know, it can go a couple different ways. If you're really other focused, and so then you always have to look perfect, act perfect, be perfect. And that's exhausting. That's a lot of pressure to put on a relationship. Okay. If your house, and I'm not necessarily talking about mine. Not mine either. (laughs) We can't see the winks and the nods. Yeah, right. I mean, I I may have had my husband say to me, you care more about how things are organized in your systems than you do the relationship. Mm. That was a wake-up call earlier in our marriage because I feel 
for me and my nervous system, and I suspect a lot of your listeners will relate, my brain is hardwired that when spaces are too messy and too chaotic or at least don't have a spot, it's painful. And I'm not talking it all has to look magazine perfect, but if there's just too much chaos, it's hard on my nervous system. You're going the opposite way than I thought you were. So you actually really need your house like clean and organized. And my husband, he doesn't. So yeah, come clean up my house, by the way. Because <laughs> no, no. And other people though, perfectionism can, it can be just messy and chaotic because why bother cleaning up? Because it'll never stay that way. So that's a perfectionist mindset too. Mm. So the relationship perfectionism can also be, I expect my partner to take care of all my needs, to be perfect, to look perfect, to do perfect. Or if I don't look perfect, if I don't act perfect, I'm afraid of losing my partner. So then all this pressure is put on you. So it can be this otherworldly focus. It can be pressures I put on myself. It can be controlling of myself or of my partner or feeling that I'm not enough if I don't look and act and do a certain, so then I'll never be enough for my partner. And so again, there's lots of layers to perfectionism, but at the heart of it is if you are not perfect, you don't do perfect and you don't act perfect, then you are not worthy of love and belonging. That's why perfectionism and shame are best friends. Wow. By the way, my house is a mess. Ha <laughs> ha. No. Yeah. So I know I have someone help me clean it up, but I don't have that problem, but I have other problems. And that's what the stereotypical perfectionism though, is the house is perfect. The outfits are perfect. The hair is perfect. Works all the time. Everything's perfect. Some people really feel imprisoned by that. Other people feel imprisoned by perfectionism that keeps them from showing up, keeps them from starting, keeps them from being truly who they are, and is a prisoner to worrying what everyone thinks, even people that don't know them. Where I saw also it coming up for me was the other way, like expecting perfectionism from my husband that, you know, on my birthday, he brings me flowers and there's a card and, you know, on Valentine's Day, there's chocolate. And then finally, I just decided recently, actually, that his only job is to let me love him. Vice versa is also true. My only job as his wife is to let him love me. But the same also is now that we have to bring that to our creativity is my art job is just to let me love it. Oh, can you say that again? I just love that. The only expectation I have from my art is to let me love it, to let me love the process. And you nailed it right there because perfectionism despises process. It only wants results. Yeah. And when we find ourselves there, we know that's our flag, that perfectionism, the protector of perfectionism is running our lives. And however that shows up, neat, messy, other focused, too high inner standards, whatever iteration, and it can show up with immense amount of not just art shame, but can be body shame. It can be house shame. It can be work shame. I can't think of, well, I can think of a few things, but I would say creating is one of the most vulnerable things that we can do because, and in this culture where people critique for blood sport. Mm. And that's not a hyperbole right there. No, you're not asking them to. There's an entitled opinion, not even just about whatever you're putting out there, but about your looks, your tone, your fashion. And really what's behind that is an immense amount of pain and trauma and loneliness. Assuming a practice of generosity, meaning And I take this from Brene's research from Rising Strong, that really taking the posture, and this is controversial, but it's a game changer personally, if you take the posture that everyone's doing the best they can. Oh, yes. Because my perfectionism will say, oh, heck no, that's not their best. Or heck no, that's not my best. I'm just making excuses for myself or for others. But that posture has nothing to do with the other person and giving them a pass. It's about my own well-being and my own ability. Because if someone else is best, 
is crossing boundaries, is unsafe, is dangerous, is disrespectful, then I realign my boundaries and you know my relationship with that person, that situation. But when I take a look at even at the anonymous critics, even at very public leaders in our world right now who are saying and doing things that I could end up take me to fetal position fairly quickly yeah. or to breaking things fairly yeah. quickly. That's not who I want to be and how I want to show up. So to remember that one, not to dehumanize other people or myself. Perfectionism does not care about the humanity of myself or others. And so that helps me. That's a practice when I see the humanity in others in front of me or in the mirror reflecting back to me, that grounds me. Doesn't mean I have to love everything I see. (laughs) Sure as heck don't in myself and others, but I sure as heck can respect it and I can choose compassion and value the humanity in myself and in, in others. And again, that doesn't mean I'm agreeing with or I'm letting others get a pass or myself because perfectionism does not like compassion because mm. it takes it as an excuse mm. or empathy. Oh, you're just letting them get away with it. Oh, you're getting soft on yourself. How much is perfectionism related to judgment? Oh, yeah. Judging and perfectionism are literally like Embedded what shame fuels. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing about judgment. It is a great litmus test for me and for you and for all of your listeners. I get the most judgy about the things I care the most about. You mean you judge other people about the things that you... And myself. And myself. So family, big deal. Whether it's the clinical or personal development field, I care deeply about. My faith, I care deeply about. So when I find myself getting all righteous <laughs> about things going on to others or beating myself up, I pause. So judgment is a place, you know how you get that scratchy throat and you're like, oh, I'm starting to get sick. I maybe need to take some extra vitamin C and get some extra sleep. Yeah. Judgy is a practice to start to go, oh, pause, do a U-turn, get curious about what's going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I saw that look from that mom to my kid and it just sent me you know, to this place. Or I put something out there and I got crickets. And so I started getting really judgy and blamey. So both of those situations, isn't that us making something means telling stories in our minds that may not be true? If somebody gives you a funny look, you don't know that they're looking at you funny because you wore the wrong outfit to the social occasion or if they like your shoes, right? But, you, but if you're insecure about something, you're going right to that place of making up that story and making it mean something that it may not mean. If I am living my life led by the protector of perfectionism, which means shame and judgment are right there, then the stories that I'm telling myself are going to match that. Yes. Right? Right. And because our brains are made to tell stories, we are meaning-making people, as Brene writes in her books, then that's how we do. Our brains like to write an ending. They just want to have it figured out whether it's the right answer or not. It's not invested in that. So another wonderful practice, as I was touching on earlier with the judgment piece, is getting curious. Getting curious about how we get hooked in judgment, in shame, And what's the story we're telling ourselves? You nailed it. Because then we're living from those stories that are not true. And then perfectionism and shame and judgment make our world so small and definitely not pleasant at all. And we don't feel connected in our own bodies, let alone to others or to our creativity. So let's start itemizing some of these practices because I think they're going to really help my listeners. The first one we're talking about always is get curious. This was something that we talked about in the other episode about overcoming imposter syndrome. So whenever you're feeling something in your body, you want to get curious about that. And around perfectionism, I think getting hooked on judgment, if we're when that's a great trailhead to start to get curious about what's going on and how perfectionism might be running the show. Okay. So yeah, curiosity is one of the best practices we can make 
to live a brave and creative life. Absolutely. And I would add to that, what are you really afraid of? Are you afraid of feeling an emotion? Are you afraid of judgment from other people? Or are you afraid of result? And if you are afraid of the result, what is it that you're really afraid? Is it just the feeling that you're afraid of? Yeah. And maybe I would slightly tweak that just to drill down on what you were saying before is what am I afraid of feeling? I'm afraid of feeling rejected, of feeling left out, of feeling misunderstood. And that's probably the top one I get from people because we're always going to be misunderstood. (laughs) Our brains are so quick to assess things and we do it inaccurately often with little data. So maybe, I mean, there's the meta part, but just to say, what am I afraid of feeling? And then something I wanted to touch on that we talked about before we I hit record was the whole idea of numbing those yes. feelings because that's what leads to some of these health issues and problems. The perfectionism is costing you because you're starting to numb or buffer to avoid mm-hmm these feeling, those feelings. Let's talk about that. Yes. My brain's exploding because I think this is an area that we need to be talking about whatever arena that we're in. Numbing is a form of protecting. And so, so often I hear people wanting again to crush this. So if we're curious about what we're afraid to feel and then how are we numbing from feeling that, we don't judge about that. We definitely get curious and we just stay curious about that. I know for me, I love a good story. I mean, Netflix is coming out with so many good movies and series, right? But then all of a sudden, if I find myself not enjoying the show and not doing things with my family and curling up in the bedroom, I'm numbing. And then I go, oh, yeah, because I can, I enjoy a good story when I'm watching it with friends or just taking a break. But if I'm holding up in my room and not getting things done and isolating, something's going on. Yeah. Enjoying really bad TV. Well, again, sometimes I just just need a break at the end of a hard day or I can't wait to hear a good story and there's joy. But then if I'm just pushing through it and I'm missing out on things, I'm not taking care of myself. You know, those, you know, my husband's like, have you showered today? And I'm like, no, I'm trying to finish this story and the show. (laughs) And he's just like, are you enjoying it? I'm like, I don't know, but I got to finish it. And he's like, let's put it down. Let's come out. You know, what's going on? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, you know what? I have so much to do and I'm so overwhelmed that I just, I don't want to face the things that I got to do. I've done that with CNN. Oh, geez. Well, that's a whole next level. Well, the thing Uh, is, is they're very good at sucking you in, like breaking news. And meanwhile, it's just the same news that they talked about the first 20 (laughs) minutes, but with different panelists. So, And your brain's like, is it going to be a different take? Is it going to be different? Like, did more come out with something while I was, you know, getting my snack in the kitchen? Yeah. And so I want to name some common ways of numbing. Obviously, the more well-known and often pathologized ones are drugs, alcohol, sex, gossip, shoplifting. We can also numb with work. And I think this is when we get a little, we could definitely numb with food. We can get, we can numb with exercise. It's quite dangerous. We celebrate that. Well, when, when I see people that are having chronic injuries or are not, they're missing out on functions because of the rigidity around feeding and moving, that's a flag to me. Right. And we often say, oh, you're so committed and so dedicated. And so if we get clear on, we get curious about what's going on and where, you know, we got hooked and what's the story we're living from. Then we ask ourselves what we're afraid of feeling. That's the start to the path to building resilience and asking, how am I numbing? How is protection or how's perfectionism trying to protect me through numbing? And perfectionism can do that through criticism, through judgment, through work, through obsessing, through worry through staying small, from overthinking. I mean, all these things. And they're, it's just at the heart, it's so basic. And again, I'm going to say it's almost beautiful because I love the way that we are made is our system is just trying to protect us. And then we also have the ability to let these ways of protecting that are actually causing harm relax when we start to build resilience and awareness and develop our critical awareness of what's going on with our bodies and not just thinking it through. 
And perfectionists love to try and analyze and think it through and do it on their own and not Mm. ask for help Mm. and not speak their pain. I mean, when you have a student say, I am spinning here, I'm obsessing about fill in the blank, whether it's what other people think or even just this technique or having their art seen by someone, just the act of someone speaking that takes away the shame and the perfectionism. It reduces it, I should say. What I've heard from my students who I know suffer from this is they'll ask me, am I good enough to take this class? Mm-hmm. They've asked me that. I was like, this is the class is going to teach you. It's not a prerequisite to be good to go into this class. But this, so I hear, I hear that I'm not good enough to even take the class. I hear people believe that they're the worst one, like everyone else is so much better than me, they don't want to share. The other thing I see, and here's something that like in terms of the numbing, I'm seeing this more and more is people don't even realize how insidious this is, but they're numbing with social media. Oh, yeah. I mean, my kids do it. It's passive. It's a dopamine junkie, Val. You know, I want to circle back to the people who have said, Am I good enough to take this class? Yeah, let's talk about that. I have a bit of righteous anger around that and a righteous anger against whoever in the world started this, these injuries as kids critiquing our work, you know, because I think that comes from being shamed, whether it's in creativity or public speaking or doing the math problem on the board in front of class or daring to be brave in a sport whatever it may be. And then we get shot down, yeah. you know, and those are the stories. And and honestly, that's where we have to have compassion about the parts of our stories that might need some attention, might need some unburdening and some compassion so that we can live bolder and braver lives. Because when I hear that question, am I good enough? And yeah. whatever is following it, yeah. I know that shame and perfectionism and judgment and fear are right there. And that's the data that there's not truth there, but there sure as heck is valid emotion happening with that person. And so the question isn't about the class. That's not on the table. (laughs) Like someone's worthiness to be in the class is more of what support do you need to tolerate the vulnerability of being in this class? And not even about your worthiness to be in here isn't on the table. Because we all have these injuries and these wounds where we showed up. And I see this with folks who are creative and more and more people are getting language around, um, you know, highly sensitive people, people who feel and sense emotions and they internalize it and turn it on themselves. And so I just think how much healing would happen if more people were creating and the responsibility you and I and others that, you know, we know that are talking to these issues need to scale this message so that we can start to create cultures of courage and that the worthy, our worthiness isn't on the table. Yeah. It just isn't when it comes to creating and having compassion. Okay. So I, I see it show up. That's the most extreme form, the person who's going to ask me that question. But here's another way, Rebecca, I see this show up. And I see this not just in the art space, but also, you know, in the entrepreneur world is people who are consuming and they're confusing that with creating. Tell me more. Can you unpack that a little bit more? Yes. I will explain exactly how it shows up. And they're watching the art videos. They're watching Mm. the instructional videos, but they're not taking the pen to paper and creating. That's the last practice. You nailed it. Consuming versus action, right? Perfectionism will keep us from taking action. Nailed it. Yeah. So they consume, but they don't create. And there's the false sense of action by consuming. Exactly. And then we can numb with consuming in our trade, in a skill that we're wanting to, and, and getting curious when we've tipped the point to really getting some comfort, getting some encouragement, getting some knowledge to the point where we're not taking action. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with the consuming. It is inspiring and you don't always have to be creating, but that can't be the only thing that you're doing. Yeah. And I relate to that. I think that's been something that snuck up on me. The story I made up was I have to learn more. I have to learn more before I put this out there. 
right? Yeah. And, and there's a point of having some wisdom and some skill. <laughs> kind of like driving a car. You didn't just wing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But again, painting something, writing a book that isn't, you know, driving a deadly weapon, but it's vulnerable. For me, even with this podcast, I launched it six months ago. Right before I launched it, I went to Podcast Movement, which is a big conference for podcasters. And I want to shout out the the woman who was speaking. I believe it was Patrice Washington. Mm-hmm. And she had only launched her podcast the prior year. And now it's doing exceptionally well. And she was in her talk showing a picture of how she took her, you know, her mastermind people to a retreat where they did that water sailing where you put a parachute on your back and the boat pulls you. Oh, fun. Yeah. And she was like, they put it on and wait a minute, it's not quite the strap isn't, I don't know if the strap's on right. And suddenly it was going and then she was just like, lift it up. (laughs) You know, she wasn't sure if she was fully strapped in. And she said, that's what it's like to launch the podcast is you're not sure if you're fully ready. You just have to start and do it. And that's vulnerability and building resilience with feeling risk and uncertainty and emotional exposure will give permission for perfectionism to relax. Yes. But just to continue on with this person's story, she was talking about how there was a woman who she had met the prior year who was attending the conference a year later and hadn't launched her podcast yet and saying she was still gathering information. So that is something a perfectionist will do. And sometimes it's done with the best of intentions. Yes. And that's where perfectionism can be kind of insidious and slippery. Yeah. You think you're researching and learning, but you're really just consuming. Yeah. And spinning. And that's where the growth edge shows up, right? I honestly want to say this really clearly. I I think it's something we have to come to on our own. If people are going to speak that into at least my life, they have to have earned the right to do that or else it could feel very shaming. I think staying curious, am I consuming? Am I taking action? It's a very personal answer. I believe we see in cultures almost this toxic, you know, push through, suck it up, bulldoze through. That's not helpful. And that only feels more scarcity, feels more perfectionism and shame. So, but that practice of, I love that, am I consuming or am I creating? I think you're onto something really important and a great curiosity there. And also what you were saying just now about like the culture of just pushing through, that what that suggests is that you don't allow yourself to feel your feelings. And when you don't, that's where the real struggle is. We don't need any more of that toxicity. It is doing so much harm. It is doing so much harm. And we can numb with that too. We can numb with that kind of bravado and hyperbole. Mm. And you know what? I would say one of the best things I have done, I read the book Essentialism. Oh yeah, it's a great book. Yeah. And reread it. And it's now one of my words for the year. And it's felt very different when I ask, is this essential? whether I'm spending money on something and I took a year off, I'm not buying any books this year, any books, because I can, I buy them and I read a little bit. I'm not buying any courses this year. I'm only going to be investing in people that are consultants to help me with my business. And I'm just pausing on that because my perfectionism showed up in some of those areas of consuming and collecting. And I hit a dopamine hit. And then I really, where are my results? (laughs) Where are my shifts? Where are my changes? Where am I at with my goals? And so it feels very freeing. And I know there's a lot of privilege around kind of that term essentialism and some of the minimalism movement. So I want to just give note to that. But for me, it's just what's essential right now for the things that matter most in my goals this year. And that's been really freeing and helping me separate from the protector of perfectionism and not buying into the hyperbole or the toxicity of some of the the narratives around personal development about push on through. And it allows me to feel now, I'm feeling the discomfort of not numbing with purchasing, of consuming, of collecting. And it's been very liberating and it's building up my confidence my clarity. And guess what? I am creating more this year than I have in a while. 
I really love that you brought up that point about consuming because I think perfectionism plays a role in that. Absolutely. Yeah. Consuming. And then what you just said, collecting. Yeah. Whether you're collecting information. Books, courses. Clothing, art supplies. Shoes. But no, let's not count shoes. That's important. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I love my shoes. But even like, this is not as big of a deal, but collecting people, our followers on Instagram, social media, our email list. Whenever those things are connected to our worthiness and our safety, Mm. that's the big red flag. It's good to look at metrics. That's just the reality of being a business owner, right? Yeah. But when those metrics are connected with my worthiness or are numbing me from feeling the vulnerability and feeling disappointment, feeling frustration, feeling stagnant, because when I'm feeling right before I allow myself to feel frustrated and stagnant and stuck, I am right before a big breakthrough personally and or professionally. And when we numb from that and let perfectionists try to protect from that, we spin. Yeah. And anything that's worth doing and change, you're going to experience discomfort. And we have a problem with discomfort. Yeah. And that's where perfection shuts that down. But the more that we can practice discomfort, a minute a day, five minutes a day, I mean, it's the emotional, emotional weightlifting, you know, we go from one pound to five pounds to 10 pounds. And we do that in our own way. For some people, it's meditating. For some people, it's walking. For some people, it's pen to paper, whatever that may be. But we only have to do one thing at a time too. Perfectionism will say, I have to fix it all and do it all right now. That's not sustained change either. Yeah. One thing that's really helped me recently, because I've always done the meditation and the this and the that. It's like, well, why why am I still having problems with all these things? Uh, one thing that's really helped me recently is recognizing when I'm having a thought that something's hard. And it's not that I'm going to try to convince myself that it isn't hard. But I add to that phrase, and I like hard things. So, Learning how to draw is hard and that's okay (laughs) because I like to do hard things or class is hard and that's okay because I like to do hard things. So whatever it is, I've been adding that statement to it and I find that that more than anything else has helped me stay in that discomfort that I need to in order to evolve. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where we build up resilience is being able to tolerate discomfort, not at the expense of our safety, our integrity. That's not what we're talking about here. It's the vulnerability, the uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure of vulnerability. That's really it. And perfectionism says discomfort is a sign of failure Mm. and failure is the death of you. And so that's the story that perfectionism tells in its own iteration for each of us. And what I've cultivated is failure is just data. So I can separate it from my worthiness. One thing I got out of the book from the Pixar Creativity Inc. They talked about one thing they noticed when they had a big failure within their creative team, that they weren't taking time to heal from the falls and the failures. And so I think that's something we hustle and rush through. We do grief terribly here in our culture, here in the States. And so not only is failure just data, so I learn, that's how we learn, but I also need time to heal and convalesce from a fall. Mm, I like that. And I had a failure with my clinical practice that's three years old now. It was about six months ago. That sting wasn't there when I thought about it. It took time. It was a big one. Yeah. It was a public one. I think practicing the tolerating discomfort, we can't do this in a vacuum. We also, with essentialism, I also did an inventory of my support systems and who I'm allowing to speak into my life. Hmm. Whether these are friends in real life or my online good friends or which podcast leaders are allowing to speak into my mind, which emails are getting in my inbox. So I can tolerate discomfort better when I'm not spinning in comparison and scarcity and completely getting annoyed and feeling misunderstood by what people are saying. (laughs) 
And I'm not saying living in a bubble. I, I listen to people who I disagree with. That's not what I'm talking about. But if it started making me feel icky about myself or my work, yeah. it wasn't essential. No. Before we wrap up, I just want to like go through that a short list of what we talked about. And you'll help me remember the things we talked about. So uh-huh. as far as our life practices, first of all, staying curious. Yep, it's our superpower. Recognizing when we're consuming rather than creating. Asking ourselves what we're afraid to feel. Yes. Asking ourselves how we're numbing from feeling that thing. Yes. Are we numbing? I mean, are we rushing to buy that sweater really because you're avoiding something that is hard and scary? Yeah. How are we responding to discomfort? Again, I think a lot of this does stem from curiosity But also, too, we touched on this a little bit ago, is are we practicing generosity? Are we and those in our lives doing the best they can? Yes. That's six. And I'm going to add one more to the list. Are we collecting information? Are we staying in the research mode to avoid taking Action. action and risking failure? Eight, allow, you just added, allowing yourself to heal. From falls and failures. Yeah. And are we giving ourselves space and permission? So I think there's just the practices of permission. Again, these are very personal. Perfectionism for me would take a look at that list and go, I have to do them all and do them perfectly. And then I'd be over. Fix perfectionism right now so that we can be perfect. The story, (laughs) if we're living from perfectionism, the story we tell ourselves that struggle means that we are bad and we are not safe. Mm. So we have to catch ourselves in that saying, why am I still struggling with this? So should she be done with it? But if, I mean, the people that you work with, the people that are listening to this podcast are people that are creating and doing new things every day. So there's always going to be discomfort. There that is. is part of the gig. And if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. Yeah. And there might be days where you want to tap out of it. And I think amen to that because that's exhausting to always be in the place of struggle. Yeah. I mean, what's so hard is that people look at their art and when it doesn't work out, they immediately rush to, well, then I'm no good. When meanwhile, they're holding themselves up to a higher standard than even Monet because Monet destroyed the pieces he didn't like. What we see in the museum are only the masterpieces that he kept. He didn't like that. Everything he did turned out either. So why should you expect everything you do to be a masterpiece? I mean, think about the metaphor that is for social media and what we post. Do we post right. like the thir- the 20 pictures we took before the right, one we Right, right, right. <laughs> or what again. I look like first thing in the morning. I mean, I have to have a filter on if I'm getting... <laughs> <laughs> we need more of that. It's important to remember perfectionism, you know, not only does it not like discomfort, but it believes that it, it is your ability to experience love and belonging is only based on your results Mm. and your image and what other people think. When it should be on the process. And hates process. Yeah. It hates it. So you can't get granular if you're doing it from the place of perfectionism. So first it's just treating and addressing and rumbling with your perfectionism to start to shift your mindset. A perfectionist mindset will crush your creativity and relationships and joy. And often that might lead to deeper work. Most often there's difficult life experiences that stem from that. That is worthy work because the more that you can tolerate discomfort, the more that you're going to create and show up as you and not who you think you should be. This has been so inspiring, Rebecca. Is there anything else you want to add before we call this podcast complete? I just am so grateful that you're talking about this. And just to remember, we can't think ourselves through perfectionism. We're going to have to feel our way through it Mm. together. And we're in it together in this rumble. So thank you for your leadership on this topic and all that you're doing, Miriam. That's so beautiful. Where can my listeners go to find out more about you and what you do? I'd love for them to connect with me on my Instagram, which is Rebecca Ching MFT. You can also find me and sign up for my new email list at RebeccaChing.com. Calm. So I'll have some things that I'm putting together this year and we'll be rolling out and would love to have your community involved in that. But just to start with having conversations on Instagram would be beautiful. Yeah. So if you felt inspired to create today, 
and you felt the courage because of what we talked about. Tag Rebecca on yes. your post so she can see it and celebrate your courage. And tag me too. I'm at Shulman Art. And Rebecca, repeat your Instagram handle. We're going to definitely put it in the show notes, but just in case they're listening in their car. Rebecca Ching MFT for Marriage and Family Therapist. So Rebecca Ching MFT. Perfect. Not to use that dirty word, but okay, that's great. Uh, (laughs) I say it too. (laughs) I know. (laughs) All right. So we're going to definitely include Rebecca's social media handles, the link to her website. And don't forget, we also have a freebie for you. We're going to put together a one page PDF for you so that you can review these practices. We covered a lot today and we want to make sure that you have like a one page sheet to review later when you're, when you're feeling, feeling these feelings. So to grab that and find the show notes, you go to shulmanart.com forward slash 34. And then finally, to wrap this all up, I just want to remind you to subscribe to my podcast. And I want to encourage you to do that right away, like even this minute. I have some amazing guests coming up. So Flora Bully and business coach Allison Stanfield and also author of Steal Like an Artist, Austin Kleon, are all coming on the show. I don't want you to miss out on any of them. So if you subscribe, you will get a notification straight to your smartphone when I have a new episode because I don't always email every time I have one up. So that's it. Thanks so much for being with me here today. I'll see you the same time, same place next week. Make it a great one. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course on shulmanart.com. Hey there, if you enjoyed this podcast, you have to check out the Inspired Insiders Club. It's my monthly membership program where you get inspiration from me. Every month, I share with you techniques that I use in my own art for drawing and painting in both watercolor and mixed media. Plus, each month we meet live. We talk about inspiration and ideas for how to make the art in your own style and you get to ask me questions or even get critiqued on your art. If you're feeling stuck in your art and your goal for 2019 is to unleash greater creativity or to spend more time painting, but you need a little help creating that habit, then the Inspired Insiders Club will help you get there. Come join me over at shulmanart.com. That's shulmanart with a C dot com forward slash join. I'd love to have you join me in the Inspired Insiders Club. See you there.